Today is number four. That's right, number four. The fourth time since I was ordained a priest back in the year of our Lord, 2007, that I have had to climb into the pulpit and preach a sermon on the Sunday following an election day for a president of the United States. Each and every time I've been in this situation, it has seemed to have been a time of particular division in our country. I will say that when I was standing here with you at All Saints four years ago in 2016, I didn't think that it could get much more divisive than that. Well, I think you'd agree with me. I misjudged that completely because it has certainly been even more divisive and polarizing this time around. With more votes cast this year than any other year in history, and still with only a razor-thin projected victory, there is no question that this year will be remembered as one of the toughest election years in our country's short history so far. And it isn't exactly over just yet, is it? Well, as much as I've watched election years come and go and watched them draw great fear and panic among people in our country, and as often as I've seen political candidates win and lose, there's always been one thing, one thing that has never changed. And that one thing certainly has not changed in the year of 2020 either. That is that the Sunday which follows the first Tuesday in November every four years is always a Sunday. And no matter where you have been over these last five days since this past Tuesday, Sunday, brothers and sisters, will always be for God's church, the Lord's day. If you are trying hard to be a Christian and a disciple of Jesus Christ this Sunday morning, then that must mean that this morning can no longer be about Republicans and Democrats. It isn't about the White House or the Supreme Court or any court. It isn't about battleground states or the colors of red and blue. Today is our Sabbath day. And today, brothers and sisters, is the Easter morning when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That means today for all of us is a day of prayer and worship and a day to refocus on Jesus Christ. Therefore, dare I say it that today... You must turn off the news, put down your smartphones and your tablets, shut down your radio and your podcast, and stop reading those blogs. Because, brothers and sisters, whether you've had the absolute best weekend you've had in four years or the worst, this is the Lord's day. And it is the day to come back around to your Christian faith. I worry that in the United States in the 21st century, it's getting harder and harder for us good Americans to recall that from the time of the founding fathers and mothers onward, it has always been God before country. That doesn't mean that we can't be patriotic and proud of our nation. I certainly am proud to be American and thankful more than ever for our freedom and our democracy. But when it comes down to it, I am committed to the vows I made at my baptism and my confirmation first to be a Christian before everything else. That means that at the end of the day, after everything else I've had to struggle with, I must return to my faith in Jesus Christ to set the goals 
and the boundaries for how I will handle everything God sets before me. That means that it isn't partisan politics that determine how I will react and respond to my neighbor across the street. It is my Christian identity that must determine everything. That's who I am. And if you are here this morning, or if you're watching online at home, I have to believe that's who you are striving to be also. And I have to tell you, when I read again the readings assigned for this particular Sunday, I couldn't help but be convinced that God must be wanting to remind all of us of that simple Christian fact in this polarizing and divisive moment for our country. Did you happen to listen to that first reading this morning from the book of Joshua in the Old Testament? During this moment in the story of the Israelite people we were hearing before we arrived at All Saints Day, Moses has died. And Joshua is leading God's people through the many struggles and challenges facing them as they enter into the promised land. And we can only imagine that there is intense division among the Israelites after the death of their great prophet and leader Moses. Maybe there were some who were beginning to doubt the direction they were heading and were beginning to align themselves with other gods. Maybe there were some who were questioning the leadership of Joseph altogether. Sorry, Joshua altogether. Maybe there were even some who felt the whole Exodus project itself was going off the rails and needed to be abandoned altogether. Whatever was going on, Joshua calls all the leaders of the people to come out, to gather together, and he lays down an ultimatum. Joshua says... Now, therefore, revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. And then Joshua finishes by proclaiming, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now, this kind of hard, threatening, line-drawn-in-the-sand approach may sound like something a bit disconnected from our view of Christian faith today. Certainly, the God that Joshua is demanding the people to follow is not coming across as a warm, fuzzy kind of God, is he? As Joshua will say, God is a jealous God, and God will bring serious repercussions against those who do not uphold their promises and covenant to follow him as their Lord. That seems quite a ways off from the grace, hope, and forgiveness promised by Jesus. But nonetheless, at the core of this passage, brothers and sisters, I believe is the same essential commitment that has been required by God from the very beginning of creation through the message of Jesus all the way up to today and always. That is that when we can only have, that is that we can have only one God and that once we open our hearts to God, we must always work our hardest to allow nothing else in our lives to draw us away from the primacy required in our faith and devotion to God. Yes, maybe it's true that we don't really have gods in the form of little stone idols anymore, do we? And when we pray, if we are Christians, we only ever pray using the name of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. If you find that you've been spending far more time watching TV news and reading political blogs or engaging in political action 
than you do in time spent in daily devotion or prayer over to God, then maybe, just maybe, there might just be other gods infiltrating and overtaking your lives. And you can trade news and politics for just about anything else in the secular religions of our time. Sports. Did I say sports? I just said sports. Fitness. Food. Sex, drugs, money, technology, whatever. Today's gods don't have to look or have names of the past to become worshipped and followed. Sometimes you may not even know that your smartphone has become your idol. So in the Old Testament this morning, Joshua is simply reminding the people of his time what people of faith must always be reminded. That God loves us and he wants us so badly. He wants to make us his children as fully as possible that God cannot abide any other gods, no matter what form or name they bear today. Nothing can take his place in our lives. And as different as it comes across from Joshua, Jesus, I believe, is giving us the very same message in the Gospel of Matthew this morning. Jesus certainly takes a different approach using a parable of a wedding banquet and ten bridesmaids in place of a hardcore ultimatum. But Jesus is certainly doing this to emphasize again the essential need and requirement for the hope of God and the task that God set before us to open the world fully to God's kingdom. In the parable, the ten bridesmaids have one important job, one job only, and that is to await the arrival of the bridegroom and lead him into the wedding banquet. In order to do this, each of the bridesmaids must keep their lamplight lit as they wait. Nothing can draw their attention from what they need to be doing. Nothing can stand in the way of their one task as they watch for the coming of that bridegroom. But for five of the bridesmaids, Jesus says, something is causing them to forget a key ingredient for their assignment, a flask of oil to make sure that no matter when that bridegroom appears, no matter how late, their light will stay lit. Now in the parable, Jesus calls these five bridesmaids foolish. But I wonder, were they foolish because they didn't know they needed the oil in the first place? Or were they foolish because they let something sneak in and distract them from the most important task that had been laid before them? Maybe they were thinking about all those important people that would be coming to that banquet. Perhaps they were amazed to see kings and queens that were coming into the banquet. Or maybe as they prepared, they saw people arriving they didn't particularly like or agree with or who they didn't think deserved to be at that party. Whatever it was, something caused them to forget the oil. And when the other five bridesmaids did not have enough to share, they were forced to rush out into the street in the middle of the night to try and find the oil that they needed. And when they finally make it back to the banquet hall, the door has already been closed. The five distracted, foolish bridesmaids cry out, Lord, Lord, open to us. But when the bridegroom hears them, he can say nothing else besides, truly I tell you, I do not know you. Jesus, unlike Joshua, 
does not say that God is a jealous God and that as Joshua will say, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. No, Jesus doesn't say that. But what Jesus does say is just as terrible for those of us who are believers and followers of him. Jesus declares in the parable this Sunday morning, following election day, that if those of us who know and have already proclaimed that Jesus is the true bridegroom, the true Lord of lords and King of kings, the one and the only who can come and unite humanity with God and bring us out of this fallen world and into God's fulfilled world, then we cannot be distracted. We cannot let anything overtake our faith in God. If we who claim to be the disciples of Jesus do not put Jesus above everything else and stay focused on the task set before us to be the hands and the feet and the body of Jesus to everyone we meet, then we run the serious risk of getting to the very end of our life's journey and missing our invitation to the wedding banquet altogether. We run the risk of calling out to God at the end after we've put everything in our life above God and tried to return to Him, only to hear God say to us, truly I tell you, I do not know you. Friends, there are so many issues that we need to be engaged in right now in this world. No doubt about that. Issues with our family. Issues with our jobs. Issues with the pandemic we're still struggling to get through. And absolutely issues we must face as a country and as a democracy. But there is one thing that on this Sunday we need to take a deep breath and remind ourselves above everything else going on in the world out there right now. That is that it is God who is the creator and the sustainer of all things. And it is God who is the giver of our blessings and our constant help in troubling times. God has already been with us, brothers and sisters, through every frightening twist and turn this world has ever faced. God has never left us and God will do it all again. We can and must trust in God above everything else, whether we approve or support of something right now or whether we feel defeated or overwhelmed by it. And remember, Jesus requires of us Christians just two things. No matter where we are right now or how we're feeling, we must make sure we set this above all else and that we uphold it and that we really live into it. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And then from that love, Turn and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Love God, love neighbor. Love God, love neighbor. Love God, love neighbor. Regardless of race, religion, creed, or nationality, whether they're Republicans or Democrats or Libertarians or Independents or who God knows what, if we are claiming that we are Christians this morning, we must love God and then we must love our neighbor as ourselves, no matter who our neighbors turn out to be. If we truly did this, these election days, I believe, would forever be changed for all of us, for our nation, 
and for the world. Amen.